It's good to gather today and um, even as Nate just prayed to rejoice as the church over some good words for us as believers, as those who submit our lives under the word of God and rule of God, to hear rulings about Roe versus Wade, which give us great hope. Um, and yet there is much work to be done in our nation, but this is indeed sweet news for us. Um, and it is, it is rich, a rich time for us to recognize that God does indeed hear prayers. Um, but it doesn't mean that suffering is over. So uh, with that, let's do continue on in our book, uh, in our study of the book of Mark. So if you have your Bibles with you, would you open there? And there is um, just something rich about studying a book like this week in and week out because you start to see these different themes begin to develop. This is one of the reasons I love studying God's Word within my own Bible. And so I would encourage many of you, as you come to church, bring your Bibles as you study because this is one of the ways that you start to learn God's Word and it starts to set within your heart. I recognize that oftentimes we're so busy that all we have is our cell phones and it's not that reading your Bible on your cell phone is wrong, but there is something rich about having a Bible and learning this and, and recognizing where things are at in your own Bible. So I would encourage you as you come to studies uh, in the book of Mark to bring your Bible, to study it, to see where the Lord is working on your heart. So do open to Mark chapter 6. And as we continue in our study, there are a few things that are starting to be developed within the book of Mark. And as Mark starts to display this picture of who Jesus is, this is one of the gospel accounts. And, and Mark, as he's accounting for what happened with Jesus, this incredible moment in history in our faith, he's starting to display something unique about this work. And he really is starting to point to the work of Jesus as he's shaping disciples in a very normal and practical way in which you see Jesus' work very practically as he moves from place to place. There's something for us to learn in the way that Jesus operates, the way that he acts, and how his disciples respond. And so there's the two big pictures that are being formed. One is answering this question of, who do you say that Jesus is? And the other is, who do you say that you are as an image bearer of God? And this is where this discipleship begins to be formed. And Mark really paints this picture of discipleship that is pretty unique here and that you have this relationship between a growing understanding of God in the person of Jesus and a growing understanding of who we ought to be. And there's a dissonance and a difference between who we think God is and who he should be and who we think we are supposed to be. And this morning we're going to see this developed even further as he continues to show us how he governs his world. There's been many stories in the way that we start to see this picture of Jesus being developed. And as we look at what he's done already, there is many times that he enters in and he shows that he has a unique role within creation. Even though he is incarnate, even though he has come into the world, he is not like everybody else. And he is not like people expect him to be. He shows his power over creation in the storm. And he calms it. And they recognize something unique about this guy. His power over spiritual forces. Something that no one else was able to touch. None of the spiritual leaders really knew what to do with. 
He has control over that. His power over physical ailments. Things to this point that people just said we have to put them off. Put them in a different part of the city. Isolate them. Jesus is able to touch them, to heal them. Jesus has power over death even. With Jairus' daughter, as we just heard, that he is able to raise this girl to life as if it's nothing. As if she's just sleeping. So there's something completely unique about the person and work of Jesus that we start to see along with his disciples. That he may not be exactly who we expect him to be. And as we listen and watch, especially for those of us who've walked with the Lord for a while, we mustn't come to a place where we expect that we understand the fullness of who Jesus is. And the fullness of what he has asked of us. In fact, our business is to always have our picture of who our God is expanded. So as we come back to the book of Mark today, we should have our view of our God broadened just a little bit more. To say, Lord, would you help me see who you are? Because this shapes our discipleship. This shapes the way we live in this world. And here we see in this next section, Jesus returns to his hometown in Nazareth. And there is this moment in which, in all of these different scenarios, Jesus has caused a lot of interest, a lot of marveling that they were just amazed at what he would do. And even though there was some skepticism, generally there was kind of a, wow, that's amazing what he has done. And here he comes to this point in his hometown where he faces rejection. So this helps us to understand how are we to behave as disciples of Jesus when we face rejection. And Jesus models this for us as he would model it for his own disciples because he is about to send them out in a similar way. So let's do read Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 6 as we study this text this morning. If you would stand with me as we read this text, starting in verse 1. This is God's word. It says, He went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished saying, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown, and among his relatives, and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about among the villages teaching. This is God's word. You may be seated. Let's do pray as we study God's word this morning. Father God, we do come before you this morning asking that you would teach us something about your character, your work, the way you've called us to live in this world. Lord, would you shape our hearts? Show us where our hearts have gone astray. Show us where we need to be shaped and formed after your own character. Lord, would you use this word this morning to shape our church Teach us who are we to be 
in community with one another. Lord, we ask these things with great expectation, knowing that you do use your word within the life of the church and in our own hearts. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, many of us have faced something kind of like this to some degree, some instance of rejection where we recognize that our beliefs and the things that we hold to are not necessarily well-received within the world, sometimes our homes, sometimes different scenarios. One of uh, my professors at seminary, one of the, the things he told me was that he had been flying on a plane at one point heading to, a, to this conference, and he had run into another professor who was not necessarily, um, actually he was not a believer, in fact he was very opposed to the faith, but this guy was um, well respected within kind of the academic world. And he starts asking my professor, Jerem Bars, he says, where do you teach? They both kind of had an affinity there. And so they start in on small talk. And Jerem tells him, well, I teach at a seminary. And he says, oh, you're a believer. You believe all that stuff. And he said, well, yes. And he just, the other guy just bursts out laughing. Just laughing at him, scoffing him. He's like, I can't believe anyone would believe a doctrine like the Trinity and think that this is actual truth. And Jerem Bars was sitting here wondering, well, this is kind of odd. I don't think we've ever had someone laugh at me audibly. And so he just decides, well, I'm just going to engage with him. And so he says, well, actually, the doctrine of the Trinity is the reason I didn't commit suicide and I came to the faith. There was something about the relationship between God to recognize that he has a love within his character that I haven't experienced anywhere. And so they continue their conversation and it never convinced the guy, but this is something that is all too real to me and I'm sure to you. The, the fear of that type of rejection sometimes sits in front of us in conversations, but it is very real to us, recognizing that the person and character of God, our faith, is not accepted by the world. In fact, the world has rejected God. And even as we face rejection in this world, we find ourselves responding in very different ways. We have natural responses that come out. We may want to debate, may want to push back, may want to defend our honor, want to defend what we think as not ridiculous. We may want just to keep the peace and to say, don't worry about this stuff, let's just <laughs> make this relationship okay right now. And we may even want to reject the work and the calling God has given us in a moment and say, I don't want to be associated with it anymore. But we can learn something here that we don't just have to figure out how to respond to rejection. Jesus actually models this for us in many different scenarios. And here in Mark chapter 6, and we see that Jesus acts very differently than we might when faced with rejection. In Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 6, we see that Jesus honored God when he was rejected. That Jesus honored God when he was rejected. And I think there are a couple different ways, three different ways that we're going to look at in this text this morning that we can see that we can model this in our own lives when we are rejected. And the ways that we can honor God ourselves so firstly, when we are rejected, and we continue to share the gospel where we are called. When we are rejected, we continue to share the gospel 
where we are called. Let's look back at verses 1 to 4 and see where this is here. It says, He went away from there and he came to his hometown and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not, this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And not, are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And here we see Jesus heading right back into his hometown. Jesus was a man. He grew up in a place. He knew people. And immediately he is met, not with maybe what we would expect, but he's met with skepticism because of what he's teaching and what he's doing. He's met with a stiff arm, so to speak. And there is an amazement of the people this time that is not met with, I want more of what Jesus is doing, but go away. We don't want you here. And facing this type of skepticism, as you read this, one of the things that makes us wonder is, why did Jesus head back here? Why did Jesus go back to this place where he would be rejected? And where has God indeed called us to minister? That becomes one of our questions. And it is certainly that God has called us to places, and he has called us many places. But first and foremost, we see with Jesus, there is a calling to your home, to your hometown, to the places he has naturally placed you. And there's something pretty unique about our callings to our homes and our hometown. Think of people you know who are from your hometown. And once they are well-known, once they are well-esteemed within the world, if they come back, oftentimes there is a natural place for them back at their hometown. Uh, one of uh, the, uh, an Olympic athlete that Emily and I knew, actually this athlete went to high school with her, Ashton Eaton, he was a decathlete, so he did that event where they have 10 different events of track and field, and he was just... Um, uh, very, very good in high school, and we realized that he was much more than just very good. He was actually world-class at these events, and he won gold medal in this two times in a row, and so one of the things, when he would come back to Bend, there was just this natural reception of Ashton Eaton. If he wanted to come into a business and put something together, any business would receive him. He could basically walk anywhere he wanted to in Bend, and people would say, I know that guy. I know that guy. I want him here. And there is something that's very natural about the place that we are raised that will oftentimes give us room to enter back in to one degree or another. This isn't always the case, but there are some natural connections that we will have. And it doesn't always mean that we're received well, but there is a natural connection you have. And so there is some sense of calling that God says, you have a way to minister here that no one else possibly could. And as you minister, as Jesus ministered here, you recognize that they didn't necessarily like it, but he had a way in. And it says they didn't just receive him in and say, we love everything you're saying. They said, where did this man get these things? 
They don't even call him by his name. These are people that grew up with him. They say, where did this man get these things? Isn't this the guy that we knew, that we grew up with? Who does he think he is? How dare he say things like this to us? So even as he is called into his hometown, it is not because he's going to be well accepted, but it is because he has been called there that he goes there. He recognizes these are people that I have natural relationships with, that I will share the goodness of the kingdom of God with. They're people that I care for, I love, even if it's going to be a hard message for them. I know it is something I want to share there. We recognize that we are seeking God's honor in the face of rejection means that we are being faithful to where God has called us to say, I will represent my God well there as far as possible. We must also ask, why has he called us there? Why has he not called us to places that we know will be effective? Why can't I just go to the places that they want to receive me? We recognize very clearly that Jesus didn't go there for his own honor. He went there for God's honor, to display God's glory amongst his own people where he grew up. As you think about the way that he was received, it was almost instantaneous once he started to do work there that he was rejected. And Jesus knew this very well. He quotes the prophet Jeremiah And the way that God spoke to Jeremiah when he went to his hometown in Anathoth, you would maybe recall the story when they are not wanting to receive Jeremiah. And God says, don't prophesy there. And yet here, Jesus enters back into his hometown. And Jesus is aware that oftentimes a prophet in his hometown is without honor. And he went there still. So he's not going there to say, I'm expecting to receive honor here when I bring the message of the kingdom of God. He's not going there to say, I assume these people will receive me with welcome arms. He probably expects they may not receive me, but God has called me to display his kingdom in all the cities, all the regions around here, and I will do it, and I have a natural place here as it is my home. And it would be very tempting to think that as Jesus speaks here, he is giving us an escape from the responsibility to our hometowns, thinking certainly they're not going to receive him, they won't receive me, therefore I don't have to go to places that I won't be received. And yet Jesus entered into this place. And he shared the message of the kingdom of God. He shared a message of repentance. He shared a message saying, I can give you a peace that nothing else in this world will give you, but you have to repent of your sins and turn to God. And it was rejected. We recognize this is something that Jesus did regularly in his ministry, not seeking his own honor, but the work that God had called him to. Think of John chapter 6. He says, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus has gone to Nazareth not for his own purposes, for his own honor, but for the will of God. And we recognize there are certain places that God has set us. He has called us to our own families, 
to our own towns, sometimes to our own businesses, sometimes these relationships that give us some level of trust with people in which you can speak more powerfully there than anyone else could. There's a calling there to say, I represent Jesus to this person. I may not feel as articulate as someone else to represent Jesus, but there is a way in which you represent Jesus. You share the gospel. There's some level of learning. How do I speak of Jesus well? How do I declare the kingdom of God? How do I declare the message of the gospel to those areas? And this is going to look very, very different from situation to situation, from person to person, but there is a calling upon our lives that we learn how to enter into these. Jesus has called each of us very uniquely into different places. To just say professional ministry, bring them to the church so that the church can sort them all out, oftentimes they won't show up in the church. Oftentimes they won't come unless they have a relationship with someone. Oftentimes they won't even trust the work of the church until they trust someone personally. God has placed you uniquely where he's placed you. And sometimes this means someone else can help there too, where it feels like there is a hard situation. And whether or not we're willing to consider these opportunities oftentimes has to do with exactly what Jesus was faced with. Whose honor are we seeking? Are we seeking to make sure that we are honored or are we seeking God's honor? This is a difficult thing at times to recognize when I face absolute rejection, I don't like it because it makes me look bad. I feel silly in front of a crowd. I feel silly even in relationship one-on-one. When someone starts kind of scoffing or mocking me or saying, do you really believe that? How could you really hold to the values of the Bible? That seems ridiculous. And yet, we can press forward saying, it is good. (laughs) I do believe that. And these are things that God continues to shape and form in us, to be able to trust his gospel, to be able to know that we have an identity in Christ that cannot be shaken by rejection. God is using all of us pretty uniquely to shape and build his kingdom. And as we have these small moments of obedience, there's a picture being formed of his kingdom that we can't even grasp. And the work that you're called to in small moments of faithfulness isn't just about that moment. You're shaping and forming the kingdom of God. And to recognize, man, God is doing this work, and I am just a piece helps us to be faithful in these small little moments to say, this isn't just my workplace. In fact, this is part of the kingdom work, that I am a redemptive presence here. So even though we seek to be faithful where God has called us, it doesn't guarantee this welcome reception that we might expect, and yet we would do it anyways. So oftentimes we're thinking, how should we feel about these situations. Rejection brings about a certain feeling within us and how should we approach these types of situations? We can expect, like Jesus would, that oftentimes the message of the gospel will be faced, will be met with rejection in the world. We know this. The Bible teaches us this. And we start to form our opinions about how this is going to look. So firstly, we do share the message where, we're, where we are called, but we also share the message of the gospel optimistically. We share this message 
optimistically. Let's do continue to read here to see how Jesus continues to act. Verses 5 through 6. And it says, He could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and he healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. He marveled because of their unbelief. There's something we see here, the humanity of Jesus, the rejection of him. There is a certain way that Mark is painting a picture that the gospel will not always just go forward because he is God. There is moments within the world in which we face things that we cannot get past. And Mark is kind of showing that this is a very real world scenario that his disciples actually can model. They can act like Jesus acted here because Jesus didn't always face just welcome open arms, but he faced roadblocks to his work in the gospel. And there are limitations to what he was doing. And when faced with disbelief and absolute rejection of God and the kingdom and the truth of God's word, it feels, as it describes it here, that there is no way forward. And that can be fairly discouraging for us. And we ask some questions of what makes it possible for God to work. Is it just we're looking for people who have faith? And we have certain expectations when we face this type of absolute rejection. So how is it that we can be, in a sense, optimistic? How can we be optimistic about our sharing of the gospel, knowing that God's word will have an impact where it's supposed to have an impact? We can be optimistic because it is God's work and not ours. We can be optimistic because of God's work. That is what makes faith and the work of God affected. At a first reading, it sounds like it might just be our faith. Jesus notes he could do no mighty work there. There's disbelief there. And we think, well, if we just have faith, then God would be able to work. And yet this is not what it's showing, because Jesus certainly could heal. He did heal a few people. It is not our faith, but there is something very specific about the hardness of their hearts the hardness of their hearts. And so as Jesus enters in, there's a hardness of our hearts that as we share the gospel, we cannot actually soften someone's heart that is hardened. God can use us to bring a message there, but in a hard heart, that is the work only meant for God to change. How can we be optimistic then? We learn to trust God's character and God's work, not the way we share it, not the receptiveness of someone's faith and say, just have the right faith and all of a sudden the heart will be changed. No, God does this work. We're called to a specific work, which is to bring this message here. But we have to trust God's work. And you notice as he enters in, what does it say about what Jesus did? He marveled. He marveled because of their disbelief. It was not that Jesus was naive to sin and that people did reject God. It wasn't naive to the world around him. He understood that people indeed were absolute rebels towards God. And yet he still marveled when they rejected God. There's something going on here. We can see in the Bible that there is very different ways in which people would expect people to respond to God and his goodness. If you think of Jonah with Nineveh, Jonah had a very pessimistic view of people. 
He saw the people of Nineveh, these Assyrians who had put Israel through hard, ruthless, miserable scenarios. And so he had a very specific view of these people saying they are not righteous. They don't deserve mercy. And he didn't trust God, even if God would offer it. And with Adam, or Abraham, excuse me, when he is looking out at Sodom, Abraham had a very different view. Abraham looked out at the people and he said, there must be someone righteous there. He had an unfounded hope that people might be righteous. Some hope in the goodness of people that just was not true. Righteousness is not found in men. God changes a heart. God makes us righteous. And with Jesus, he does marvel at the fact that there is a hardness of heart, but it's not because he has a misplaced trust in God. It's not because he has a misplaced trust in the righteousness of man. But he does marvel at the fact that this beautiful picture of the kingdom is laid out before you. Similar to that wedding feast in Matthew 22. This feast is prepared. I'm showing you all the richness and goodness of the kingdom of God. And you spit upon it and say, I don't want it. And as Jesus looks in, he's not marveling at the sinfulness of the heart. But how hard in the face of absolute mercy and forgiveness for all that they've done, they would say, I don't want it. And he looks at them and says, the hardness of heart is an absolute mystery. Not the goodness of God, not the power of God, and not even the wickedness of man's heart, but the hardness of their heart is something that is a mystery. Jesus does have an optimism to say he expects God's work to be effective. He expects people to be able to receive it. As he heads in, there is an expectation that they might reject him, but he says the the gospel is powerful enough And when it doesn't do its work, Jesus, the king of all creation, can still marvel at the fact that people would reject it. And this is a good thing for us to have true about us as well. As we go to share the gospel in the world, that we would not have a pessimism about heading into hard situations. And as you think about your own situation, when you head in to share the gospel when you are expected to be rejected with a parent, a sibling, a child who you know will reject the message of the gospel over and over. Sometimes you've seen their lives, the way they've walked through life and saying, I'm not even sure if I want them to receive the gospel anymore. I'm not even sure if I care. We can become very hardened and jaded thinking that I get to decide when someone receives mercy. We need a heart and an attitude like Jesus to head in recognizing even with absolute rebels of whom I am one, I need to see the gospel as something that really could take an effect on the most hard soil, to hope and to long for that. And when they reject it, you say, How is it possible that you're rejecting this message? General, genuine hope and optimism that God might save someone. There are many people who disagree with us for many, many reasons. It might be political. It might just be worldview. And you enter in with them and it's like, I don't even know if I want them to be saved in the deep recesses of my heart. 
And that is something that we have to bring before God to say, would you change my heart towards the people you've called me to? Would you give me a hope for their salvation? Would you give me an optimism as you send me into these situations that I might see the goodness of your kingdom as it is laid out? It is genuinely for all people. And it is not my mind to decide who gets it and who doesn't. Because Jesus offered it to each of us when we were wayward, we were wandering, we didn't deserve it. And yet we enter in and we think, I get to act a little bit like Jonah and decide. They might get it, they might not. We might physically go with our feet to the place, but in our hearts say, I never thought they'd accept it anyway. (laughs) May we have our hearts softened even towards the gospel for the people we have been called to. When people express this type of rejection, we must really follow Jesus' next steps here. To not just act however we feel, but act in line with the way that Jesus acts. So when we are rejected, we do continue to share the gospel with everyone. This is the mission of the kingdom of God, to go out to all nations. We continue to share the gospel. We don't stop here. We don't end here, but we continue to share the gospel with everyone. Let's read verses 6 to 7 and see how Jesus responds to this absolute rejection. Or just verse 6, excuse me. It says, And he marveled because of their unbelief, and he went about among the villages teaching. He went out among the villages teaching. After he experiences this type of rejection, this absolute rejection, which was certainly probably frustrating in our humanity, we can expect the frustration. He marvels and he continues to teach. He's not deterred from the work he went there to do, to teach and to share the message of repentance in the kingdom of God with all who will hear it. He continues with this work. And in the early chapters of the book of Mark, as his disciples were looking for him, he describes this. He said, this is what I came here to do. I came here to teach about the kingdom of God with all who will hear it. And he's continuing to do this work. We have a responsibility to share the gospel, as we see Jesus did, but we don't have a responsibility to guarantee its effectiveness upon someone's heart. And there is some sense of a freedom in this that I have a specific role within the kingdom of God and I don't have to face rejection and say until you convert that person you can't make it into the kingdom of God no God says you share this message and you continue sharing the message and you continue carrying it forward and you can expect rejection absolute total rejection and it is somehow strangely true that People will hear the best news in the world. And as we get better and better at sharing the gospel, at showing the goodness of the kingdom of God, of saying, you don't want the things of this world. The kingdom of God is so much better. There is a pleading that we can have before people to say, do you see it? And some people just won't. And like Jesus, we can marvel and continue to share with someone who might hear this message. And this doesn't mean if someone doesn't turn back and say, I want to hear a little more. And we say, no, you had your chance. <laughs> no, we continue to share. God is doing something in their heart. 
But it doesn't mean you have to continue to double down to say, how dare you reject God? God is the one who will deal with that. Charles Spurgeon observed, the same sun which melts wax hardens clay. And the same gospel which melts some persons to repentance hardens others to their sins. It truly is a mystery. The same good news can do very, very different things. And even at this point, Jesus marveled. And he continued on with his work. We must recognize, as Jesus did, when you can do work that is God, God has called you to, do it faithfully, do it as effectively as you can. But then there's a point in which it's not going to have an impact. And we receive it. And we move forward. We move to the next thing. And there are certainly areas that are closed to the gospel that we pray about. We ask the Lord that he would open those doors. We ask the Lord that he would soften hearts. But we move on to areas and other areas of our life where there might be people who are receptive to the gospel. I've recognized this many times in my own life where I can be very honed in on someone. I'm like, they need to hear the gospel. You share with them again and again, and they don't want to hear. And it can get so frustrating. You get so bound up on why won't they budge? And the entire time, there may be someone who's kind of in a similar relationship who's been listening. And you're like, that person actually does want to hear the gospel. Let us not ignore that person who does want to hear just because this person who might be the focal point of our attention seems kind of like an exciting challenge to convince them that you might be able to do something powerful in their life and ignore the person who actually wants to hear the gospel. There are ways in which we are called to continue to share the gospel and continue to follow the obedience of what God has called us to, to say, I can't guarantee you will receive it, but I can share it faithfully and effectively in as many places as God allows me to share it. And there are many ways in which this becomes true. It's not all just beating the door down with truth, but it really should be a living in light of the gospel, showing the, the goodness of what life lived under the rule of God might look like. And this may be very, very strange to some people, but it is indeed something we can look at the kingdom of God and say, this is the best life possible. And there's some level that we have to learn to believe that ourselves, to say all the stuff that the world is running after, I really don't believe that is better. I don't believe there's satisfaction there. I think as the Bible teaches, this really is the best. And sharing a gospel like that becomes much, much easier. And as someone rejects it, we really should be baffled. Man, you don't see it. And our hearts should be broken for them. In the face of rejection, Jesus has given us a way forward. He hasn't left us to figure it out say, good luck. It doesn't mean rejection will be easy. Rejection is hard. It's miserable at times. It can make us feel like we don't know why God has placed us where he has placed us. And this is the pinnacle of the gospel. It came to deal with our rejection of God. It came to deal with Adam and Eve as they said, I don't want to listen to you, God. I'm going to listen to what is going to make me great. They were kicked out of the garden. Because they rejected God, God had to push them out, had to reject them because of his character. 
and he sends them away. And this is what Jesus came to deal with, this absolute rejection. And we face rejection now for our association with the gospel because the world and God are still at odds. And so as we turn over here to say, I am going to follow you, Jesus, there is a certain sense of expectation of that world will reject the things of God. There is an expectation that that is true. It doesn't make it easy, but it is true. And God has given us a way to live in light of this. We even think of this ruling on Roe versus Wade that takes away some of the legitimacy in our country of protecting abortions. And we can rejoice. We can say, this is good. This is wonderful. This is in light of the kingdom of God, the valuing of God's image bearers to recognize that human life is leveled above everything else. God is willing to die himself for his people. And we can say, this is going that direction. That's a good thing. And as the world is faced with something that moves towards the kingdom of God, we can expect that there is a certain amount of rejection that that even brings upon us to say, it's not baffling to us that people are really up in arms about it, to say, how could you take away my rights just for your views of your God? How could you do this? And when groups of people start to say, those Christians did this, we recognize, yes, that's, that's the kingdom of God. And in fact, it is good. It is right to fight for those who can't speak for themselves, to, spy, to fight for the goodness of life. And as we do that, there is a sense of rejection that we might be able to expect. And as you sense, there's a mounting weight that starts to rise upon our shoulders of, man, everyone's against us. Everyone is going to reject us. There's, it starts to feel unbearable at times to say, I just have to stick up my chest and go forward because they're going to reject me and I'm going to have to deal with it. And I'm going to have to face every single one of them. And yet this isn't the message of Scripture. Scripture says very clearly that Christ carried this weight for us. We will experience rejection, but Christ carried the full weight of rejection. Christ was not only rejected by the world, he was rejected by his own family, his own people, his own disciples, and eventually and ultimately he faced the rejection of God, the wrath of God placed upon him for the sin of the world. Absolute, total rejection. And we face rejection in this world not as if we have to carry its weight, but built upon the work of Christ. We actually have a great foundation. Peter talks about this in one of his first sermons in Acts chapter 4, 4 verse 11. He says that Jesus saw this absolute rejection and the entire kingdom of God was built upon him. He says this, this is the stone, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, and he has become the cornerstone. And there is, no, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There is incredible hope in the work of Jesus that we can indeed face rejection knowing that it's been built, it's been paid for, it's been carried. This rejection that feels absolute is not. 
absolute. In fact, we have a home. <laughs> we have a place that we do belong. In 1 Peter chapter 4, Peter goes on to speak to the saints. And he says, Beloved, do not be surprised at fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. This is the work of Christ on the cross, lived out by us as we face rejection to say, this isn't something strange. I knew this was here. I knew that the world would reject Christ. And yet there is great hope in following Christ. There is great hope in seeing that I am rejected by the world to say, that means I don't belong over there. That means I belong in the kingdom. And I want to pull people in with me to say this kingdom is far, far better. This rejection now is far, far better than a rejection by God in the future. We must not sharing the gospel, holding to what we believe because we face rejection in the world. We must not even face the potential anger we have towards the world saying, I'm going to carry these things to my own ends, but say, God, would you work in these situations? God, would you go before us? God, would you carry me forward in these things? As we have seen in Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 6, we can and we must share the gospel where we're called in those areas. We must share it with a sense of optimism that the gospel brings, with great joy, peace, longing that they might receive it. And we must be willing to move on when people don't receive it, to share it with everyone who God has called us to share it with. And this isn't a confidence in ourselves. This isn't a confidence in people. But this is a confidence in the work of God. And as we follow Jesus here, there is a way to, in the face of rejection, honor God. There is a way to dishonor him, but as we follow Jesus here, we might honor God just a little bit as we face our rejection. So then as we close here, may we face rejection in a way that honors God as we suffer for the cross, as we suffer for Christ. We recognize that this is not me taking on the weight upon my shoulders, but under the covering of Christ, I do face rejection, and he has carried it already. There's great hope for us here as we think about the world that we live in, that Jesus has not left us or abandoned us. Let's do pray. Father, as we come before you recognizing the world does not receive the message of the kingdom, the message of the gospel, the things that we would hope and long for, Lord, those things are at odds with the world that has rejected you. Lord, help us not to be discouraged by these things. Help our hearts to not long for things that Scripture has told us not to long for, for acceptance by the world. Help us to learn how to live in the face of rejection in a way that honors you, in a way that glorifies you, in a way that is life-giving, that proclaims your gospel as far as we can and 
as simply as it needs to be stated again and again and again, even though we are rejected. Lord, would you encourage all of us today to trust in your word, to trust in the gospel, to trust in the work that you have already accomplished, that it is finished, that we are carrying forward the message and news of a work that is sure. Lord, we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning we do have the joy and privilege of gathering together as the saints to share in a meal that Jesus left for his disciples and for the church. And it is a meal that we have great joy in sharing because it is a meal with great significance. So the, the meal we're about to take is a meal that Jesus left for us. And he said some very specific things about this meal. And this is a meal that declares Christ's work. It's, and for those who take it, it's saying, I believe and I trust on the work that this meal declares. And so if you don't have a faith in Jesus which says, this is my ultimate hope, this is where I put my hope and my trust, I would say this is a meal that is not for you. This is a meal that you can learn from that you can ask questions about, that you can turn to either me, one of the other elders, home group leaders, someone you came with, and say, what is this meal? How does this mean something so significant to you? And this is something that would say, there is always more room at the table for those who would believe. But don't come forward until you believe. So even as we gather this morning, we're reminded of the words of Jesus when he left this meal for it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Jesus, or P, uh, Paul would describe this for us. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Indeed, rich meaning for us to celebrate as we gather together, knowing that this work is accomplished. I'm able to remember the work that Jesus did on my behalf and celebrate it with the saints. That there is good news for us at this table for those of us who believe. His body broken for you. His blood shed for you. Making you righteous. Making you whole. Making you new. These are things to reflect on as we come before the Lord's table this morning. We'll have the, the side aisles come first and come to either table. And then the center can come afterwards. Let's do pray as we gather together for this. Father God, we thank you for the rich blessings that you have left with us, your church, to share in the goodness of all that Christ has left for us. We pray as we take these elements, would our hearts and souls be encouraged by your love for us, by your deep care for us, that you again and again see our wayward hearts and forgive us, accept us over and over. Lord, would you Soften our hearts to your word because of this. Would you help us to be humble? Would you help us to trust more fully in you even today? We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
please do come forward.